Go ahead and have a seat. Today our parable comes from Matthew chapter 24, verses 32 through 35. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. As I said before today, we continue through working the parables of Jesus and learning from his stories incredible truths, unimaginable truths of the kingdom of God to come, to have the world put right, total and complete restoration that's here now, but not quite yet in full. And the lesson we get today has to do with recognizing all of the signs around us and putting them in the proper context, viewing them with the, the right frame. I think that'll become more clear as we continue. From this parable, there are, there are two things that we know for certain. There's a lot of confusing pieces of this parable, but there are two things that we know for sure. Number one, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. The second thing we know from this parable is we have no idea when. Jesus is coming back and we have no idea when. So the context when Jesus is sharing this parable, it's in the context of Holy Week. Jesus has gone out and, and wept over Jerusalem. He's just returned from the temple and he's talking about how all of the magnificent, huge stones of the temple will be thrown apart. The temple will be destroyed. And he talks about the different signs that people will see at the end of the age, at that time of also the time of the temple collapsing. And in the midst of this, Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives and privately the disciples go with him. And they ask the question, just the obvious question, well, Jesus, when will this happen? When will the, when will the temple be destroyed? Is this something we need to worry about today? When will this happen? Jesus responds with signs. You need to know what the signs will be. And in the text just before this one, he lists a bunch of those signs that false Christ will try to lead many people astray. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Nations will clash against nations, kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be famine, massive earthquakes. You will be delivered to tribulation and to death. Many will hate you because of me. False prophets will arise. Lawlessness will increase. The love of many will grow cold. Suns and moon will darken. The stars are going to fall from heaven. The powers of heavens will be shaken. These are all signs that, that, that many commentators point to the, the falling of Jerusalem that happens in 70 AD, 70 AD. But those were the signs then. And the signs continue today. Right? As you read through those, none of those sound like, oh, I've never seen that happen before. We look around our world. Last year in the world, across the globe, 4,761 Christians were killed because of their faith. 4,761 were killed because they believe in Jesus. 4,488 churches around the world and other Christian buildings were burned to the ground. 
4,277 believers were detained without trial, were arrested and imprisoned. Now that doesn't really happen in our country, but in our country we can see other signs happen. We can see, we can see vaccine mandates that make some people really happy and some people really angry. We see conflict on our southern border. And in our own community, we see things around us that are, aren't the way they're supposed to be. We see people who are, who are working multiple jobs, trying to put food on the table, but failing. We've made national news this week. National news as, as one of our students here at UCF was, was missing, Mia Marcano, and just recently found dead. This world is so broken and crumbling. And in our own homes, we, we, we struggle with addiction, mental health, physical health, shattered relationships. I don't know about you, I, I really hate watching the news because it just looks like this world is dark and broken and fallen. And, and maybe that's how your life feels today, too. If it is, this, this message was written especially for you. I want to just kind of pull away and do a little bit of an application point. That, that every difficulty that's happening now, the hard stuff, the garbage, the problems, can be used, if we reframe them and view them differently, can be used to help encourage us that Jesus' return is coming soon. Now, some of you know this about me. There, is, there are a few things that I absolutely hate. There's not a lot of things I really hate. One thing I really, really hate is cold. I do not like to shiver. I am in heaven in Florida. And where I was two, almost over two years ago, uh, my, my family moved from central Michigan, where you are cold a lot, so I hated it a lot. And, and fall was my least favorite time of year because fall meant that right out of the gate, right around the corner from fall is 72 months of winter. Ugh. And you'd, you'd, you'd plow the drive, and our driveway was about a quarter mile long, and I had a, I had a quad with a, with a blade. And the first time you do it, it's kind of fun because you're just playing around with your toy, right? And you, you, it's like a big boy's uh, Tonka truck, and you, you, you just clean the driveway, and you pull in, and it's just fun and exciting, and, and then it snows again, like right then. But I love plants. And my favorite plant, though they're not very big and they're not very pretty, they are full of hope. There's this moment in, in, in late spring when out through the ice and out through the snow poke up these little tiny purple and yellow and white crocus. And it lets you know these are just signs that it is still cold, it is still miserable, I am still angry with the weather. But those crocuses poking up through the snow let you know spring is coming. Spring is coming, and what comes after the spring is even better. It's summer, both days of summer in, in, in Michigan. Both days are great. And those moments are amazing. You take off your outer garments, you take off the big parka and the wool gloves and, and, and stocking cap, and you feel the sun shine on you, and your body just, ah, which is what I get to do every single day in Florida. But when you're in perpetual winter, when you're in perpetual darkness, it just feels like nothing's getting better. And then spring comes. Those signs that summer is around the corner. Sometimes it's tempting to think that the world is spinning wildly out of control. 
But Jesus is inviting us this morning to see those signs of brokenness in the world as, as keys to know that winter is almost over, that summer is coming. That somehow in all of this said this phrase, it's probably familiar to you, it's always darkest just before the day dawns. See, we are to find comfort and peace in the midst of these signs. Just like that crocus pushing through the ice, it signals that something better is coming. I'm also a big fan of C.S. Lewis and my first C.S. Lewis book, as I'm sure many first C.S. Lewis books people have read was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in this, I, I forget her actual name, but she's like either the ice princess or the ice queen or the snow witch or the white witch. I think it's the white witch, right? This white witch has taken over Narnia with this perpetual winter. And the worst part about it is there is no Christmas. Perpetual winter. And, and there's these, these brothers and sisters, two brothers, two sisters, who are getting ready to to just kind of survive Narnia, to, to get through, what do we do? It's, it's hope seems lost. And they hear a sleigh, and they think it's the, the white witch's sleigh, and so they hide. But the sleigh stops right where they are, and they hear jingle bells. And they realize it's not the white witch, it's Santa Claus. And Santa Claus has gifts. He, he gifts the children weapons with which to fight the white witch. And, and this is so incredibly important because this was a sign, the coming of Christmas was a sign that this winter is not forever. There is something better coming. Of course, we know that Jesus coming into the world, being born as a baby, living, dying, rising, ascending, and promising to come back, that is the sign that something better is coming. Something better is coming. And we are equipped to fight not the white witch, but the evil enemy, the devil himself, with the armor of God, to fight him with the word and the name of Jesus Christ, to fight from a place of victory. You see, we, we view these problems in our life today as signs that Jesus is coming back. It allows us to rejoice in those sufferings, to know that that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope. If you are in the process of struggling, I want you to memorize those words because we don't stay stuck in the suffering, but we can get to a place where we rejoice in them. We rejoice. They bring us hope ultimately. And we rejoice in them because they are pointing to something better that's coming. So what does that mean practically? Kingdom people, while we are, we are deeply affected by the impact of this world, we do not need to live in despair. We can rejoice in our sufferings. We don't put our hope in the things of this world that are passing away, but we make the most of opportunities we have in front of us. And we try to bring little bits and pieces of goodness of God into the brokenness and darkness of this world, shining as beacons of light. And I want you to see the twist that Jesus introduces here. The trouble and tumult of, the war, of this world are constant reminders that the day of the Lord is near, at the gate. So like the fig tree whose leaves indicate the beginning of new life, summer life, we also, as followers of Jesus, have a sense of excitement as the world sits wringing its hands in misery. It's a reframing of how we see the difficulties of our lives. They're not meaningless, empty struggles. 
They are used by God to bring about good in our lives one way or another in his way, in the best way possible, and to point to the fact that this is not all there is in life, that there is so much more to come. And it's coming, and it's one day closer than it was yesterday. The ultimate recreation of heaven and earth, it's not something that is in the mail on its way or or held up at the post office just waiting to get its act together. No, all these things are present. The kingdom of God, remember, not only is to come, but is now. We receive that through our baptisms. We will feast on God's grace in just moments in the body and blood, the bread and the wine, the presence of God in us. And we point to the resurrection, not just of our saviors, but of ourselves as well. And we can hang on to that now and not yet. You see, not only does Jesus promise to return, but he is here. Scripture says that he is at the door. He is here at the house. He's not across town, not in the other state. He is at the door. The door. In Revelation 3.20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, which means that God is with us in every moment, waiting only for us to open that door and welcome him into our life, to acknowledge him by the power of faith given to us by the Holy Spirit. And even more than standing at the door, Jesus sometimes points out that he is the door, right? In John 10, he sets himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, and he says this, I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then finally, we fast forward to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 4, and the door stands open. And we're given this opportunity to peer into what the kingdom of God to come looks like now. And we see the throne room of God. Siri just said she's not able to do that. What did I say? But we see, oh, there it is, the throne room of God. One time, side note, I did this uh, Bible study on the Assyrians. It drove my phone crazy. (laughs) Back to the we don't know when. So Jesus is coming, and we don't know when. I don't know about you, but that kind of personally drives me a little bit crazy. I'd like to know. Like, I'd like to know when the light at the end of the tunnel comes. But Jesus, he says this in verse 36, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. And I would, I would throw out there today the possibility that because no one knows the day and the time when Jesus comes back, I think there's two things that we can pick out of this. Number one, I think keeping our eyes focused on the return of Christ, it impacts how we live. And number two, I think it impacts how we love. It impacts how we live. The doctrine of the second coming, the parousia is what it's called, is the crucial teaching of Christianity. It's, it's in our Apostles' Creed. We'll, we'll say that in just moments, that he will come to judge the living and the dead. But it's mentioned 300 times in the New Testament. You average that out, that's once out of every 13 verses, Jesus mentions it over and over and over again. And I'd go so far to say that if you're not somebody who, who recognizes the return of Jesus and the importance of his return, then, then I don't think you can live a, a markedly, recognizably Christian life unless you're letting the return of Christ impact how you live and how you love. 
Now, this past year has, has given many of us reason to pray, come Lord Jesus, and mean that in a different way. If you're struggling, come Lord Jesus, let this be the day. Now I'll admit, not everybody is, is there. Some people are, are quite comfortable. And God bless you if you are. Celebrate that with you. Praise God for those blessings, for that peace. But know sometimes that that peace can make you too comfortable and become complacent to think that there's really no enemy of the church. When life is too comfortable, you don't really want the second coming of Jesus. It's like, God, I'm, I'm really quite okay. It's like no one wants vacation to end. I don't really want to finish this world yet. I'm just kind of still enjoying it. Or there's more that I'd like to enjoy that I haven't yet. As if there's anything good that this world has to offer that is better than the worst things of heaven. But maybe if your life is too comfortable, then let's look around the world. It's natural to have hope for ourselves, and it's healthy, but it's also unnatural to have hope only for yourself. Be on guard, Jesus says, against that fatal absorption with yourself. The, the top countries right now that, that Christians are suffering, persecuted, and are dying are North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, and Pakistan. Pray for those brothers and sisters. Pray that, that our faith would be as strong as theirs in the face of persecution. Jesus says, take care, stand up, stay alert, raise your heads, raise your hopes for justice. C.S. Lewis, I, I like him a lot, obviously, talks about how the second coming can really turn you into a person of personal integrity. This, these are words, excerpts from his essay, The World's Last Night. Precisely, not like a no, fighting night, but like dark night. Precisely because we cannot predict the moment, we must be ready at all times. The century doesn't know at what time the enemy may attack, nor does he know when his officer might come and inspect his post. So for both reasons, he must be ready at all times. And this is not to say that we should be running around like a chicken with our head cut off in fear that the end is coming. But rather we should be like a, an 80-year-old man who needs on one hand to always be thinking about having his affairs in order, but needs to not be thinking every moment of every day, this might be it. We're to continue to live. We're to continue to serve Jesus on our Jesus adventures, living in our vocational daily lives, the ministry that he puts out in front of us, at the same time, know that he is coming soon. It impacts how we live. It also impacts how we love. I don't think there's any more powerful expression of love than to show grace. The most powerful expression we have of God's love is at the sacrifice of Christ. And it's not just that, that God loves us when we're at our best. He loves us when we are at our worst. I think the most powerful expression of our love to others is when we forgive those who have hurt us. We don't just love others when they do what we want. But forgiveness is a powerful love that covers over our enemies when they do things that we don't like. And when somebody wrongs you, it's easy to automatically run to that seat of judgment over them. You know, you, you immediately want them to know what they deserve coming back to them. Not only do you want them to know what they deserve, but you want to help them get what they deserve. Maybe you want to give them what they deserve, or at least you're rooting for somebody else to give them what they deserve. Just bring me justice. 
but we're not supposed to sit on that throne of judgment. It's too big of a chair for us. And if you stay bitter at somebody else, there's a saying that somebody taught me a long time ago that, that, that bitterness, resentment is this pill of poison that you take trying to hurt somebody else. You know, forgiveness is healing not just for the person you forgive, but for yourself as well. To let go, to not hold on to anger or resentment, but to know the peace of God that happens not just to the forgiver, but also to the forgivee. And to pray, Father, forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. The kingdom of God. Let the kingdom of God, the coming kingdom of God, help you love better. The doctrine of the second coming teaches us that, that only God deserves to be on the judgment throne. Only God deserves to be the judge because we are imperfect, right? There are, there are we deserve judgment for what we have done, and so we have no right to be there. God only has the knowledge necessary to sit on that throne. When someone wrongs us and, and we say, I know what they deserve, we think we know a person, but we really don't. Our, our bitterness has blinded us to, to who they are as a whole person. Only God knows who that person really is. Only God knows what that person's background has been. Only God knows what they deserve. And lastly, only God has the ability and the power to actually give us what we deserve. And praise be to God, because of Jesus Christ, he doesn't. He gives us what we don't deserve. It's grace, forgiveness, pardon, life. The doctrine of the second coming is that Jesus is coming back to make all things right, including you. That you are redeemed and restored. You will experience a life that is free from sin, released from it, from the birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension, and promised return of Jesus Christ. The joy of what we believe, in the joy of what is to come, we let go of our grudges, we let go of resentment, we free those who have wronged us. Jesus is coming back, and the signs of difficulty are all around us. It is not the end, but it is close. Let the difficulties be reminders like the new leaves on a fig tree that declare that summer is coming, the kingdom is coming, Jesus is coming, and let that transformation transform how you live and how you love. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we can see the signs of evil and sin and brokenness all around us, even within us. We pray that you would remind us daily that your kingdom is coming, that you are near. Let that impact and change how we see the problems around us, not as as things that would tear us down, but as things that point us to you. Bring us comfort, bring us encouragement, bring us healing and hope. And Father, we celebrate this, that, that you would enable this vision of your, your kingdom to come, change how we live and how we love. We pray this in Jesus' powerful and holy name. Amen.